Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And uh, I'm Joe. And Joe, we had um, a really another surprising outcome in this Michigan Ohio State game. Uh, you know, I'm going to reference it later when we talk about the college football playoff rankings, but this is the reason they play the game. Uh, you know, two years in a row, Jim Harbaugh has taken Michigan out there and beaten heavily favored Ohio State teams, who everyone said was the best thing to slice bread, a team we should be in the the running to win a national championship. And, you know, you look at it now, Harbaugh's won the last two against Ohio State, but really, Joe, funnily enough, he hasn't lost to Ohio State in four years because in 2020, the game didn't get played because of the pandemic. So if you're a Michigan fan right now, you can make fun of one of your Ohio State friends and say, we haven't lost to you in over three years. That's true. I did not think about that. And, you know, it was a, a big win, you know, for Michigan, not just, you know, with how uh, dominant they were, but also just the first time they had won at Columbus since 2000. Yeah, no, I couldn't believe that. It's been 22 years since they had won at Columbus. And what made it even more amazing to me is Blake Corum was in the game for maybe a quarter. You could see that he wasn't himself. And he's not, he was a complete non factor in that game. And they were able to go out there and score as many points on Ohio State as they did. And what made me even more impressed, uh, Jagger, was the fact that uh, McCarthy was able to hit all those big plays. I mean, he had two plays of over 60 yards, the same receiver for touchdowns. And I think that uh, they ended up having four plays of over 60 yards. Michigan did. And that's the only four plays that uh, Ohio State's given up over 60 yards the entire season. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, really saying something there with that performance, you know, the convincing win, you know, stood out to me without quorum, like you said. And, you know, just I look at what Harbaugh has done to this program. You know, I always felt like it was a really good hire. We talk about, you know, some of these rare guys that can actually win consistently at both the college and NFL level. He's definitely, um, you know, emulated that. And you know, really just, I think, it's a testament to him that he's now done this two years in a row. Absolutely. And he, he's done it with two completely different teams. Um, and now he's gone into enemy territory and gotten a win. And, Joe, I mean, you know, everyone thought that it was kind of a one-off last season that, you know, okay, he's a good coach. He assembled a decent amount of talent. It finally all came together for one season. But show me if you can have some consistency and this year's team on all metrics appears to be better than last year's team. And including the way they beat Ohio State, it was more impressive the way they beat them this year than the way they beat them last year. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me uh, with what we've seen with Georgia, too. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people thought, you know, last year was just kind of their year. And then this year, you know, things we kind of reset. And both Michigan and Georgia have just picked up, you know, and been even more dominant. Yeah, and I think both of them have shown a little bit more uh, capability to – have a more versatile offense in both ways than they had before because both of them were viewed as ground and pound teams with game manager quarterbacks. Well, I think that Georgia this year has had a lot more of a passing offense, especially using their excellent trio of tight ends and Brock Bowers and and uh, Darnell Washington, Eric Gilbert. Meanwhile, Michigan, I mean, McCarthy for a period of time was like an over 70% uh, passer and you look at his stats, and it was like 10 of 20, but for like 330 yards and four touchdowns. It was crazy, like the the, the kind of game that he had. But that's what they're doing. They're running the ball so well that McCarthy has all the talent in the world, including with his legs, and he's able to put up some big plays right now. 
Right, and you've got your starter from last year's Big Ten championship team, McNamara, just riding the bench. I mean, what a luxury there to have two capable guys on your roster. And then also, speaking of quarterback play, you know, C.J. Stroud and Ohio State came in with all the hype, but, you know, they kind of underwhelmed down the stretch. And then, uh, you know, the loss of uh, Jackson Jackson uh, Smith and Nick uh, Jigba this whole season, that's one of the biggest travesties, I think, as a fan not getting to see him, uh, you know, play much this year. And that is sad, Joe, because, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jig was going to end up being a probably a top 10, top 15 overall draft pick, as he should be, and you didn't get to see him for maybe two games this entire season. And meanwhile, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the one that's gone out and stolen all the, the limelight and has made his argument to be the best receiver in America. In general, I mean, I heard this on the telecast on Saturday, and, and I couldn't believe it, but when you watched him, you could. He hasn't dropped a pass the entire season. Sounds like his old pops, doesn't he? Yeah, that, that, that's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, I knew when I first saw that Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to Ohio State that he was going to be good, but he's really starting to reach his potential now. Yeah, they, they just have so many receivers year in, year out. But, Joe, what's, what's nuts to me, though, is you're going to have C.J. Stroud, who – probably going to be a top five overall draft pick. He will have never been Michigan in his entire career. Well, I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, this is – it's a very groundbreaking win for Michigan on a lot of levels. And now we're going to have to see, can they take that next step? And by next step, I don't mean just being in the playoff like we last year. I'm talking about winning a game and playing for the championship. Because I feel like if you're a Michigan fan – you know, maybe you're, you know, the, the regional ones are expecting to win the national championship. But I think the realistic ones say, I just want to get into the national championship and give myself a chance. And then I'll feel like we've taken yet another step and we're right there. You know, I mean, if I was if I was a Michigan fan, that's the way I'd think about it. And so that's going to be the question this year is, can they win that opening round playoff game, I think? And be competitive regardless, you know, like they, they just can't get run out of, out of the building on like last year. Right, exactly. Uh, Joe, speaking of being competitive, how about Clemson uh, or how about South Carolina the last couple weeks? They go out and they wax Tennessee, uh, end Rocky Top's dream season. And then Clemson, you know, had a little, they've been underwhelming this whole season, but they were still right there on that edge of maybe being a college football playoff team if they could win the last couple games of the season based on their helmet and based on what they've done the last 10 years. I think they had a chance. Well, Shane Beamer. And took out Clemson and beat them 31 to 30 and won the first for the first time in seven years against Clemson. And even more incredible, he broke uh, Clemson's, I think it was like a 10 year game, uh, 10 year home winning streak. So, I mean, what an epic win for Cocky over the weekend. Yeah, I think they had a 40 uh, game home winning streak coming into that game. And, you know, South Carolina. You know, their fans have had to suffer through a lot of years, you know, having to see uh, Clemson beat them every year and then continue to win on the national stage. Like, not having beaten them since, what, 2013? I mean, you know that had to, you know, um, annoy them. And, and the way they did it, um, first being down substantially in the game, I think it was very unlikely for them to come back and win and to do it 31-30. to 30. At Clemson, I mean, that had to be um, the most satisfying win that that program's had in like a decade. Joe, I bet you can count on one hand the amount of games that Dabo Sweeney has lost at Clemson when leading by 14-plus points in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. No, no, no doubt. And, you know, I, I always thought 
that Spencer Rattler, you know, could maybe make this team really dangerous this year. But based on him kind of struggling in the way the season played out, I never would have saw them getting to eight and four. So, I mean, what a coaching job down the stretch. Absolutely. And if you're South Carolina, you better be racing down the door to get this guy whatever kind of extension you can because I'm kind of surprised that Shane Beamer hasn't been someone that's been mentioned for some of these more uh, upper-level jobs because, I mean, he's done an excellent job at South Carolina from winning seven games last year to already winning eight this year. They are ranked in the college football playoff top 20 right now. I believe they're number 19. And they could go out and finish the season 9-4, and four, which would just be a groundbreaking year for South Carolina. It really would be. Um. And, Joe, you know, looking more at, at groundbreaking games, uh, USC. I mean, what, a, what an amazing effort they had against Notre Dame. I came out on the show last week saying I thought Notre Dame was going to win that game straight up. I saw the way that Notre Dame played against Ohio State. Of course, they killed Clemson. I didn't think that USC was for real, Joe. I thought they were kind of a soft team that had a lot of, you know, star power, of course, with uh, Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and Travis Dial on offense. And they an opportunistic defense, but one that when they faced a, a team like Notre Dame that's kind of, you know, a run-it-down-your-throat, brute force kind of team, would wilt. And I was wrong about that. I mean, uh, USC took command of that game from the get-go. Caleb Williams had his Heisman moment, and I think cemented it that unless he loses this game this weekend, I think Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. Yeah, I, mean, I think he could even win it even if he had a good performance and you saw Utah win a close game. And, and a lot of that, I think, speaks, you know, to the fact that it's a little bit of uh, a, a pedestrian year when it comes to a lot of Heisman candidates. Nobody has, like, just really big, big numbers across the board. But I do think credit to uh, Caleb Williams. He's had a great and excellent season. Absolutely. I mean, and just what a great coach Lincoln Riley is. I mean, you can't just – you can't ignore that. I know there's a lot of Oklahoma fans that are very bitter – but the guy will now have had four Heisman Trophy candidates, at the very least. He's already had uh, he's had two winners already. Three people have finished in the top two, and he's probably going to have three Heisman Trophy winners in the last five years uh, come next week. Now that that's unbelievable to, to now do it, you know, in two programs. And you know, and he's he's taken a, a program that when you and I were in our teens. They were Alabama, USC. They were the the toast of college football. They were what everybody cared about. They were Hollywood. They were glitz. Reggie Bush, Lindale White, uh, Matt Leinart. And they've disappeared ever since then. You know, I kind of feel like maybe Lane Kiffin wasn't given a fair shake there. He maybe could have gotten them back to that. But they haven't been at anything close to that since we were we were there. And I, we knew the Lincoln Rally would, would get them there at some point, but I did not think it would be in the first season. Mm-hmm. So that was that was huge. Um, and you know, from Notre Dame, I think that it you know it was a game that they weren't favored to win by any means. But I thought that would have been a real great end to Marcus Freeman's uh, first season as their head coach to get this win. I think you know, still, I would give him at least a B minus for his first season. Definitely closed much better than it began. Right. I give him credit for when it was 0-2 or whatever it was early in the year, like to be able to kind of turn things around. To me, that that said a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, Joe, speaking of a program that's really turned around a lot and probably a coach that hasn't been mentioned a lot, look at Oregon State. What a great win they had to win the Civil War against Bo Nix and Oregon um, in a game where Oregon came out and I think at one point was winning, what, 31-10, to right, Joe? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was insane, um, you know, how they were able to come back and win that game. You know, another rivalry, kind of like similar to Clemson, South Carolina, where Oregon – I think Oregon State won the year before, but consistently Oregon tends to win that game. Also kind of reminds me of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And so when you see a team like that, like Oregon State, win that rivalry game, you just know how much it means to their fans, um, especially when they storm the field down stretch. Absolutely. And, you know, you look at it right now, they have the same amount of losses as Oregon does. They're both 9-3 and three right now. I saw that Oregon State is ranked just above Oregon in the college football playoff rankings. That has to be very satisfying if you're a Beaver fan. Yes, yes, for sure. And, and Joe, I mean – uh, I think Bo Nix, he's had four years. I don't know, maybe he gets an extra year of eligibility, but what a sour end to his career when he had started off the season, he had an awful game against Georgia. Everyone, you know, dismissed him. He suddenly was back, and at one point he may have been the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy when Hendon Hooker lost his first game. After Bo Nix had that game where he threw for a touchdown, he rushed for a touchdown, and he caught a touchdown, I think he was actually a realistic candidate. And then he goes out and he loses that game to Washington. Now, granted, he was a little hurt. But then this game right here, where they lose out on the chance to go to the Pac-12 championship, there's zero chance now for him to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. And it kind of feels a lot to me, Joe, like his first season at Auburn. You know, his first season at Auburn, he had the great game. He beat Oregon. He had a great defense. Um he had a terrible performance against Florida, which I kind of feel like was a little bit like his, his Georgia performance this year. And then down the stretch against some teams that he was arguably better than, he just had a couple bad performances, like a, that game against um, something who else he lost to his, his freshman year uh, against L- – well, not against LSU, but he didn't have a good game against LSU when he needed to. Kind of like Washington, needed to have that good game. He didn't have it. And then at the end of the year, he lost one that was a head-scratcher. And that season, it was losing to uh, Minnesota. It was awful, and he didn't play very good. And so, you know, he had a chance to really resurrect his career, and sadly, this is going to be, unless he gets another season, a story of a talent that never reaches potential. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can see that. Um, He probably will get one more year if he wants it with that COVID year. I think he will probably have that fifth year next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, disappointed with how it ended, I think for him personally. And then of course, you know, he's got to be thinking about he, and of course, you know, Dan Lanning, um, replaying how, you know, they executed that fourth quarter and even at the end, you know, had a chance to get in the end zone, went for it on fourth and goal and Oregon state stopped. That's right. And I mean, I think they went for it like four or five times on fourth down and got stopped every single time. That's one of those games where you think about it. If you just kick field goals, you'd have won kind of like Lane given last year against Auburn. That's right. And, um, you know, Joe, going into, like, the main games, uh, Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State, uh, that, that was a real head-scratching loss for Ole Miss. The way it went down, um, I don't think you can make any kind of argument that Ole Miss team was not distracted by what was going on off the field. And they didn't play very good for most of that game. And what I found to be so interesting is that, of course, the all the scuttlebutt after that game was done was how Lane Kiffin wasn't focused on that game and how his team didn't get prepared for it. But uh, ultimately, Mike Leach almost made the biggest coaching error in the history of the Egg Bowl that should have cost his team the game, which was they were running the ball so great against Ole Miss 
and he has Will Rogers trying to run into the end zone from two yards out. I mean, that was terrible coaching, Joe. Terrible. Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, my, my takeaway from the game, I think I texted you this, is that on a positive note for State, you know, I, I, w- I would say two things. You know, one, you give them a lot of credit for winning this game when Ole Miss had a lot of momentum the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Second, I give State a lot of credit with Zach Arnett, defensive coordinator. For he's, a very, he's a very good young defensive coordinator. He is. Yes, yes. They, they pulled off the best defensive performance that we've seen all year on the Ole Miss running game, like completely shut down Zach Evans in limited um, Judkins and made him work for everything. So give them all the credit in the world for that. But at the end of the day, that withstanding, Ole Miss really missed so many opportunities to pull ahead in this game. Mississippi State was basically flirting with disaster many times where it was like they wanted to hand Ole Miss this game on a silver platter, and Ole Miss just could not capitalize specifically in the red zone, and those missed opportunities cost them in a two-point game. And yet again, Joe, you're left as an Ole Miss fan saying Lane Kiffin had a chance to kick a field goal that would have won us the game, and he chose not to do it again. You know, and that was there was an opportunity there. I think it was in the fourth quarter when – you know, he had been kicking field goals all game and making the right decision, but he just couldn't stand it, and he had to go for it. And, of course, it was a play call that wasn't even close to getting a first down. And if they kick the field goal, they're running the game by one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was definitely a miscue. And I, I think that the narrative for me is that Kip and, and Ole Miss will think about that game a lot this offseason. That, that was definitely a game they should have won. And it will be interesting to see how that, you know, affects the momentum for State and Ole Miss going forward. And you wish, in retrospect, that Lane Kiffin, if he had made that decision on Auburn previously, he should have come out and said it and not just let that, you know, let those rumors continue to swirl. Absolutely, Joe. I mean, if he was really, you know, during the entire week, he had already made up his mind he was going to stay at Ole Miss, I have no idea why he didn't say it. That would have galvanized the fan base and it galvanized his team. You wouldn't have seen a performance like that. And, you know, I think even if he was, like, mulling the decision over and he hadn't made up his mind until Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was, I still think you should have, you know, shut it down or just said, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, I didn't really like the way he handled it. Right, right. Because, you know, there's that excitement, I guess, you know, a semblance of excitement where he can say, oh, I'm back, you know, let's run it back. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd feel a lot happier if you had defeated some of our biggest rivals like Arkansas and State. Yeah, how about uh, come to the SIP, I'm here for the SIP that week, you know, and then go out and you beat and you beat Mississippi State. You have a great performance. You know, and against Arkansas, he could have shut it down back then. In that Arkansas game, you know, they just kept kicking themselves in the foot. Like, they kept fumbling the ball and even getting all these yards, but they just couldn't capitalize on it. And you really feel like if Lane was going to stay, if he could have just said it two weeks ago, maybe they'd be sitting there on the precipice of another 10-win season or 11-win right. season even. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, Joe, go ahead and talk about the Iron Bowl. Um, you know, this was a game where I thought Auburn played very inspired football, uh, especially on the offensive side of it. I mean, they got more rushing yards against the Nick Saban team than any team in history. No team has ever had that many yards against an Alabama Nick Saban team running the football. And I really kind of liked the the offensive style that Cadillac put out there. I mean, you were able to get over 100 yards with Tank, over 100 yards with Robbie Ashford, over 100 yards with Jarquez. And 
you know, it, in a year where Auburn had a better defense, that was enough to win the game. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it was. And, you know, uh, you, you think about how they came out and got that early touchdown. You know, it was that momentum, the excitement. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it was a very respectful performance. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I don't think this is a game that anybody thought they would win. But, you know, it was just trying to see how competitive you could make it. And I think they definitely answered that question. Absolutely, Joe. And I'm not going to sit here and say that this this call, like, changed the game and made it to where Auburn didn't win. But I do think it was the reason that it wasn't a 7 or maybe a 10, even 14-point game. I thought that call on the muff punt was awful. And I think every angle that they showed you showed you didn't touch it. And, you know, that, that referee, you see him, I think his name is Ken Williamson. Every time I see him on a game, I feel like there's some things that happen where the favorite team gets some really big calls. And I actually, we actually freeze frame this during the game, and I put it on Twitter too. Right before he's about to call and say that uh, Keontae Scott touched that ball, the other referee comes over to him and says, he didn't touch the ball, and he shoves him away while he's trying to tell him that. And Joe, I mean... It was a foot and a half. That was one of the most awful calls I've ever seen in my entire life. And it it made it to where it was a game that Alabama killed Auburn in because Auburn would have gotten the ball at that point down by seven points uh, at the 40-yard line. Instead, Alabama gets it on Auburn's 40, scores an immediate touchdown to make it a – or I think Auburn would have gotten it down 14 – Auburn uh, could have made it a seven-point game the way their offense was. Alabama instead scored because they were on Auburn's 40. That play completely ended any chances Auburn had of winning that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think, you know, that's what, you know, the powers that be wanted as far as setting the SEC up for the best chance, you know, with Tennessee and Alabama. If you had utter chaos, you know, the last two weeks, that sets you up for the best chance for them, you know, to get in if enough teams lost. Well, yeah, that's obviously why they were doing that. But, I mean, you know, at least hide it a little bit. You know, that one was just atrocious. Even Gary Danielson was upset about it. (laughs) And he he tends to, like, you know, be all about Alabama all the time about everything. So that was – that's the only thing I said, uh, you know, I'll have to say about it. And, you know, like I said, I don't think it changed the outcome of the game, but it changed the way the game, you know, the ultimate final score of it. I think that Auburn may have even been able to hang with them one score if that play hadn't happened. Right, right. I can see that. All right, Joe. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, Tennessee is that other team right there. Alabama got their 22-point win. You know, they're sitting there right now at the number six overall team in the college football playoff rankings. I kind of thought Vanderbilt had a legitimate chance to beat Tennessee last week based on the way that Vanderbilt had gotten two wins in a row over Kentucky, then against Florida. And Tennessee, of course, had gotten killed by South Carolina and lost Hinton Hooker. But what an impressive performance by Tennessee to shut out a Vanderbilt team that was really ascending. And, you know, I'm wearing my little Morgan Wallen shirt that's got the Tennessee thing tonight because I got to say that Alabama being ranked over Tennessee in the college football playoff rankings is insulting. Yeah, no, it, it is. You know, especially we have the head-to-head Tennessee one. And then also Alabama's best win is against an eight and four, either Ole Miss or Mississippi State. And so I think that that says it all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tennessee has got wins on the road at LSU where they killed, and I mean, killed LSU in Baton Rouge, which almost never happens if your name's not Alabama. And they beat Alabama at home. I mean, they have two of the best wins in college football. And Alabama, I mean, yeah, they lost those games close, but they still lost them. 
and they had the same amount of losses as Tennessee, and Tennessee beat them straight up. I, I mean, in my mind, there's the metric you're saying the best team. Does that mean that the games don't matter? Is that, is that what it's saying? Because, you know what, if we do that, let's not even have a college football season. Let's just put Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and, I don't know, Michigan in the college football playoff, and let's not even have a season if we're just not going to make it matter what happens on the field. Well, that's been the refreshing thing about this year is that so many years you felt like you could pick it like that before the season started. It was just going to play out like a simulator. And so that's been kind of the cool thing about this season with the unpredictable nature. Of course, I guess not unpredictable, that they're still trying to rank Alabama as high as possible. Absolutely. And so, you know, also, too, talking about these rankings, I, I got to feel like if you're Tennessee, why is Ohio State ranked ahead of me? I mean, Ohio State uh, went out there and got waxed by Michigan at home. And what is Ohio State's best win? I guess Penn State Penn State and Notre Dame are their only two good wins. I mean, I mean Tennessee's got much more impressive wins than Ohio State does. Yeah, at that point, it's just like almost a debate on like quality losses. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, in my mind, if you're if you're the committee and Michigan and Ohio State had one of those games like they did back in 2006 where Ohio State beat them 42 to 39, maybe you have an argument to put Ohio State at five. Um, but they, they do have one loss. So, I mean, but, you know, I, I think that I feel fine with Alabama being ranked behind Ohio State, but I don't feel good about Tennessee being behind both of them. I really don't. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. If USC loses to Utah, then we'll have, you know, that utter, utter chaos. That's right. Uh, Joe, speaking of that, so we have Utah and USC in, in you know, taking on each other in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, USC, of course, wins, and they're in the college football playoff. Utah is the one team that beat them this year. Um, you know, definitely Utah played their best game of the year and then made the bold move for go for go to go for two, just like LSU did against uh, Alabama. Do you think Utah could beat them twice in the same city season, or do you like the Trojans to get this one? I don't think so. I think the Trojans will win. And then also this that game was at Utah. I think it's going to be different being in Vegas. And I think that Williams will have another Heisman moment. And I think Tennessee, I think USC will win this probably by seven to ten points. Yeah, Joe, the, the line on this game is two and a half. Uh, my lock of the week is for USC to cover the spread on this. Uh, USC has just really been ascending, and they keep playing better and better. They played great against UCLA. And their defense came through in the end, and they played an all-around good game and beat Notre Dame. And I think that Utah played way over their heads in front of a home crowd when they won that game against USC the first time. Um, USC right now is playing their best football, and I look for USC to win this game by 10 to 14 points. I think that USC covering the spread is my lock of the week. And, Joe, I, you know, last week I should have had Rock of the Week. I had a feeling all last week that A&M was going to beat LSU. It seemed like everything was kind of like lining up for that. And, you know, you knew that A&M team had a lot of talent, and they eventually they were going to one time get in front of their home crowd and do it. And what an impressive win for, for Texas A&M. You finally saw Connor Wigman play the way that he showed in the last quarter against Ole Miss. And you finally saw Devon A-Chain play like a boss, you know. And now the question is, LSU is coming off getting waxed by an A&M team that's not going to a bowl game. How do they respond against Georgia, Joe? I think Georgia's going to win again. And, you know, it's kind of like that topsy-turvy Brian Kelly could go from, you know, being so hyped up to potentially, you know, falling flat, you know, finishing 9-4 and four with that loss. And then they lose their bowl game, suddenly they're 9-5. and five. So it's just crazy how – 
you know, the pressure can turn into hurry. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, he goes from the highs of highs, getting that two-point conversion to to beat Alabama, him getting – and then he goes down, he has a game against Arkansas. They frankly should have lost. And like I said, I had that feeling that A&M was going to really get it together, and that was a beatdown, man. That was an epic beatdown for LSU. And now they got to take on Georgia. That's their reward. And I don't know that I've ever been more uninterested in an SEC championship game than this one. The one I didn't like was I was mad in 2015 when it was Florida-Alabama the year that Ole Miss didn't go because that was like a Florida team that was really, really struggled. I think they had a backup quarterback at that point in the season due to injury. So that was another one that I was frustrated with. But, you know, I'm right there with you otherwise. But I will say an interesting component, you know, Jaden Daniels, interestingly, the leading rusher um, for both teams heading into this game. That is an interesting fact. Um Joe, I look for this to be kind of a little bit like that Georgia-Kentucky game. I think that LSU's defense is going to play in very inspired football. But I don't think LSU's offense has enough going on to really put a lot of pressure on this Georgia defense. And I kind of look for this game to be just an ugly rock fight, Joe. I think that Stetson Bennett's going to play bad football, too, against a really good LSU secondary. And I see Georgia to beat them something like 27-10 to 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that that's certainly possible. And it's been a, a minute since we've had a three-loss uh, SEC West team in the finals. I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, it has been a while, Joe. Um, maybe, maybe I don't know if this ever happened, actually. I've seen it in the East before, but not in the West. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, TCU and the Hidden Toads have their chance to make the college football playoff, taking on a team that really put them to the wire in the beginning of the season – what do you see happening between TCU and Kansas State? Do you see TCU making the college football playoff? I think TCU will make it. Um, I've even heard some people say they might make it even if they lose. I don't know if I believe that. but I don't believe that. that. Would be it yeah. would be interesting, though. Um, I think, though, I think they'll probably win, though. Um, I think that I look at uh, just how they've been all season. They've risen to every test. And I know it's going to be tough to beat, you know, the same team twice in one year. But I but I feel like they're, they're going to be able to pull it off this year and, uh, you know, just be uh, culminating great story. Well, Joe, I think so, too. And I think what really, like, told me that is the way they played against Iowa State last week. Iowa State was a team that they went into that game four and seven, but I think they had lost every single game by single digits. They were all been, like, really tight games. They had a defense that I think had not given up more than 24 points all season. And TCO went out there and dropped 62 points on them and just boat raced them. And I think this TCU team – that Texas win, the way they won it with defense, I think has really inspired them. And since that time, they played their best football. Uh, Kansas State is a gritty team, and it's not one that you can go out and beat really handily. But I do see a good chance for maybe TCU to win this game, like something like 40 to 30, maybe win by about 10 points. Right, right. And ultimately, I just can't pick against TCU based on what they've done all year. No, they remind me so much of 2010 Auburn, which was a team that – you know, had some good talent on defense, but of course was very heavy on offense, but they would win a lot of tight games, including ones they went down. And those are tough teams to take out. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Joe, let's go to the Big Ten Championship, which on the surface may be the most lopsided of all the championship games. Um, but I think it's a bad thing for Michigan that they drew Purdue. Weirdly, Jeff Brom in his career at Purdue, I think he's 5-0 and against top five teams as the head coach at Purdue. You know, they got the nickname, the spoiler makers, because they always go out there and beat these teams. They have no business beating. And they haven't done it yet this year, Joe. And my value rock of the week is for someone to take 
Purdue on the money line. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it pays out six to one odds. And if you look at the history of Purdue, it would say they win this game. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that there's a good chance they can make this closer. Like, I think if it was Ohio State historically against Purdue in this situation, I would like Ohio State out. But because it's Michigan, I just feel like in itself to maybe this being a little bit closer. In Purdue, to your point, they have some good playmakers. They have some dynamic wide receivers that I think could pose some problems for Michigan. And, Joe, Aiden O'Connell is an excellent quarterback who feel like he's been to Purdue for forever. And interesting story, uh, his brother died a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think they had the funeral last week, and he was actually he was able to play in the game they won against uh, Indiana. And I think that, you know, he's 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 played through the sadness, and I think that he's going to have a lot of motivation to put up a, you know, a good story and, a, and, and have a great game. And I kind of feel like you add that in, the human emotion of their quarterback, someone that started off as a walk-on and now has been there six years and just lost a brother and is playing for a chance to to win a Big Ten championship. And you also look at Michigan, who just came off a huge win over Ohio State, uh, one where they had to do it on the road. And there's a lot of things that spell either Purdue hanging tight or maybe getting the outright upside in, the, upside in this one. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately, though, with Michigan and Georgia, do you think that they're both safely in, obviously, with with uh, either way? Yes, I do. I think that uh, they're both in. I think that it's a good thing that Michigan won by as much as they did because I feel like if they were to lose to Purdue, based on the way they beat Ohio State, they would still be fine. Now, I don't think that USC or, or, or TCU are safe. I really don't because you got Ohio State and Alabama both sitting there. I think they're teams that if TCU loses, they're going to have a debate over it. If USC loses, they're going to have a debate over it. But I do think that Georgia and uh, Michigan are both safe. Okay. okay. And so we'll see. I'm sorry, Tennessee fans. I feel like uh, you really definitely uh, got the shaft from the College Football Playoff Committee on this because if you looked at the way they played against Vanderbilt, they'd be Vanderbilt better than anyone all year. And maybe with what I think is one of the best backups in all of college football and Joe Milton, who has started for three D1 teams. And so I think the fact that Hinton Hooker got hurt, if that's the reason they're uh, they're ranking Tennessee so low, shame on them. That may be what they're doing quarterback to quarterback. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, I think, like I said, a lot of righteous outrage for Tennessee fans, but we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, you can catch all of our episodes on Spotify, and you can also like our uh, YouTube uh, page and subscribe to it, the Dan Joe Sports Show YouTube page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.